This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is California 16th District Representative Jim Costa. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. Syngenta believes we are all stronger together. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Congressman Jim Costa next. During this unprecedented time, Syngenta offers resources to protect more than crops. Syngenta's well-being portal connects people with ways to stay healthy and active, manage stress, and enjoy more of life. To access the portal, click the link in AgriPulse. Syngenta believes we're all stronger together. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. California 16th District Representative Jim Costa says the U.S. is in uncharted waters in the COVID-19 pandemic fight. And Costa believes the country isn't out of the woods yet when dealing with the disease. Costa says the effects on agriculture and California's agriculture have been huge. He disagrees with those who call for a conservative and delayed approach for more financial assistance for the ag industry. I don't believe we can afford to wait. I strongly disagree with the Senate leader, Senator McConnell. The fact is, a month ago he said when we passed the HEROES Act that, well, if states had problems, they just ought to declare bankruptcy and, and the, the same for local government. Well, that's not a solution. Uh, states and local government have lost 20 to 25 percent of their revenue in the last four months through no fault of their own. Now, Mitch McConnell has walked that back a bit. And the Federal Reserve Chairman, Mr. Fowle, indicated two weeks ago that the Federal Reserve was doing everything they could to provide liquidity, but that Congress, with interest rates at basically zero, should appropriate more money. This is the, the time, not when times are good, that you use tax policy, but when, when times are difficult, to use the, the levers in terms of our monetary system to uh, provide a safety net. And in the CARES Act, we did that, but as I told Secretary Purdue, I really view that financial support as a lifeline at best, and that what we should be doing is developing a safety net for American agriculture over the next year. And I don't think we need to wait until this fall to see it at harvest time. Farmers are in the marketplace every day with future markets. I have farmers here in California that are dealing with the, the tree nut industry, looking at you know what they can get for their almonds and their pistachios. The cherry crop was pretty decent this last month, but we've seen a host of commodity prices as a result of this pandemic, in which, as a result of the closure of schools and restaurants, our complicated and complex food supply chain has been turned upside down. Well, it's not been evenly in terms of its impact on a regional basis. So many of our commodities that we produce in this country, we've seen the ability to maintain those markets in some cases dramatically cut back. And so whether or not the Chinese comply with the agreement they made in February, now that we're blaming them for the spread of the coronavirus, I think is an open question. The bottom line is is that American ranchers, farmers, dairymen, and women, I think, need to have a safety net, and that's why we have put another 
effort in the HEROES Act to create that safety net for American agriculture over the course of the rest of this year and into next year. If or when the Congress does act with additional support, per se, raising the the authority for the Commodity Credit Corporation or other direct payments, can this be facilitated through the administration, or should the respective agriculture committees have the right or have the opportunity to craft policy and how that it would be distributed to the industry? Well, I need uh, I I. I, I a legislator, and I believe that we need to provide this sort of legislative direction and provide, especially like the Commodity Credit Corporation, some framework under how those monies are spent. And so while we've uh, put this money in here, I think it's, and, and Chairman Peterson and I have discussed this along with our subcommittee chairs, to really make sure that the administration not only is able to make these payments, but I think that, you know, this COVID-19 is going to be with us until next year, until we get a vaccine. And we can have all the happy talk in the world, but the reality is is that um, we see uh, coronavirus spiking in 21 different states. We're not out of the woods yet. What did this COVID-19 pandemic reveal about our food supply system in the country are there particular areas that now new policy should address and shore up the food supply? Well, I think first and foremost, it, I hope to the majority of Americans, uh, revealed that the food that we produce in this country is, as I always say, and I'm a third-generation farmer, a national security issue. It's a national security issue, and I think the majority of Americans tend to take that for granted. The majority of them, I think, never really think about it. Their food, in their view, comes from a grocery store, or they get it at their favorite restaurant. They don't understand to to get it to their favorite restaurant or to to get it at their grocery store. uh, It comes from the farm. It comes from the fields. It comes from the dairies. It comes from our, you know, um, livestock producers. And it's uh, uh, 4% of America's population is directly... Uh, responsible, uh, together with our farm workers, for putting the food on America's dinner table every night. That's a national security issue. So hopefully that's the first thing that uh, the lessons to be learned. Secondly, that our first in time and our specialization of so many of the food products to the American consumer, and, and we've seen it change dramatically uh, in, in so many different ways with organic products and other dietary issues is very complicated. And when that supply chain is turned upside down, when it's uh, disrupted as it has been over the course of the last four months, we see uh, extraordinary things occurring in terms of commodity prices. And then the third thing that I think we've learned is, is that with a pandemic where you have health and safety issues, the people that are engaged, not only the the farmers, ranchers, dairymen, and women, but the farm workers and the food processors at our food processing facilities are at risk. They are working in conditions where there are many other workers there. The potential for this very, very uh, deadly disease, this virus, to spread is risk-associated. And so people putting food on America's dinner table every night 
are in themselves risking their own health as well as to their families when they go home. Congresswoman Shelley Pingree shared on this program that she applauded the administration and certainly Secretary Purdue for the Farmers to Families Food Box program, but she also suggested that none of the producers in her state were able to send product uh, to the program and that none of the consumers in her state were able to receive any product from the program. So what have we learned from this food box program, and how would you change that if you had the opportunity in another round? Well, uh, I think the food box program is it's had some success. We wrote a letter to Secretary Purdue that raised similar issues, and it was signed by three of the subcommittee chairs. We um, indicated our concerns that notwithstanding the, the delivery of food purchase donation programs, and we share the goal, but the contracts were, it seems, uh, from our initial due diligence, awarded to entities with little or no experience in agriculture or food distribution. And it seems in some areas uh, with limited capacity to meet their obligations to the award. So we asked uh, the Secretary what criteria was used to determine which applicants would be awarded contracts how did the USDA consider and evaluate the applicants' experiences and pre-existing relationships with farmers, nonprofits, and other organizations like uh, churches? What consideration did the USDA give to the applicants' current financial standings when awarding contracts? Uh, what considerations did the USDA give to applicants' capacity to fully deliver the quantities? What criteria was used to determine which products would be included in the program? What consideration did the USA give to supporting uh, minority-owned and women-owned, veteran-owned businesses in awarding these contracts? Um, and what was the efforts, uh, to Pingree's comment, to demonstrate equity across the regions in the agricultural sectors of the nation? And what were they going to do? What were their lessons did they learn in terms of going forward? So, uh, you know... Uh, there's also the issues of strict food protocol. You know, I've visited a number of the food banks here in my district over the last two months, and the concern on fresh produce deliveries and whether or not the applicants have a Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act license prior to be granted the contract because the perishable nature, as we know, of a lot of the products we grow can have a short shelf life. So those were among the questions, and we have yet to receive answers with regards to the Farmers to Family Food Box program that I think has good merit, but I think it's still a question as to how successfully it's being implemented. Are there particular areas of where food from farms uh, finds its way to food banks and ways that we coordinate the food supply to those who are in need? my area here, but I know on, on the region here within the San King Valley, which is one of the largest agricultural regions in, in the nation, that many of our farmers who have a history of working with our local food banks have taken upon themselves to do just that and have expanded their efforts. And of course, we know that there's more demand as a result of this coronavirus for food banks for people who have never gone to a food bank in their lives. Last month, I heard that there was a week in Texas where over 70% of the people visiting the food bank had never been to a food bank before. You know, and a lot of people live in food deserts where there just isn't a lot of access to good, nutritious food products that they need. 
for a good diet. So if we're lobbying with the Senate on what should be included in an aid package, some things that I've heard from your comments and from others are that those farmers who were caught with animals that couldn't run through processing uh, and were forced to euthanize, they need assistance. Those farmers who raise uh, crops or livestock under contract weren't covered under the CFAP payment. And at the same time, we also saw organics and others that are sold directly to markets that might carry a premium also weren't covered under the uh, previous program. So are those areas that, that you would hold fast for uh, a new round of assistance in? Well, we've also sent another letter to the Secretary earlier this month specifically talking about the coronavirus food assistance program. And if the uh, Senate leader believes that any further funding ought to be coronavirus-related, well, this certainly is and falls under that category. But the direct payments, which uh, are meant to be lifeline, but what we're trying to do is to create a safety net, we've lost significant value due to the, the market shifts. It's estimated that net farm income is going to drop this year by $20 billion due to this public health emergency. And while some prices uh, have rebounded, but yet uh, we know that our food is essential and those who work in our food uh, provide essential services. So we hear forecasts of a third and fourth quarter impact and uh, the impacts of reduced stocking density in livestock and poultry sector We've had the depopulation that you noted in the pork industry significantly, and that's where the CARES package was very helpful. But with those impacts, I don't believe they're fully supported by the existing coronavirus food assistance program, otherwise known as CFAP. Another problem that we've determined, and it's throughout the country, and that's the adequate staffing to get these payments out, for the farm services agencies. Um, the uh, USDA has cut back in different regions of the country on FSA. These farm service agencies' office are the uh, gateway to the application uh, of the CFAP program. And in my area, we have, you know, they're in many cases operating remotely to shelter in place. They're making appointments, and it's a complicated uh, application process that unless you have a, a staff or sophisticated office operation, and the majority of farmers are, you know, they do this stuff at home at night, can take two or three hours to fill in the applications. So we think it's important that they move staff over to have adequate support with the farm service agency offices to meet the producer's needs for enrollment under not only the CFAP program as it exists today, but if, in fact, in July we're able to reach an agreement on this fifth package and additional funding is provided uh, that goes beyond the April 15th deadline, that there will be sufficient staff. And, of course, my criticism also is there are a lot of commodities that were not included so we're, we're finding a lot of challenges here. It's not USDA's fault. I'm not trying to point blame, but these are things that we've got to sit down, and that's why we wrote the letter, to talk about, you know, how do we deal with uh, agriculture throughout the country in sectors that were not ever included, whether we're talking about aquaculture, bison, poultry, cut flowers, nursery products. The bottom line is is that for 
we here in California, and I'm going to be parochial for a moment, we don't distinguish higher value given to crops that are marketed directly through restaurants, farmers markets, and other alternatives. So these things need to be looked at as we continue to try to improve this effort. Now, we've done this all in a very short time, and the USDA's been under under pressure, and I acknowledge that. I know Secretary Purdue and the undersecretaries have done the best they can under the circumstances, but the whole purpose is to be constructive in these letters, not to be critical. But let's say, okay, we tried to do a lot in a short time. Now under the category of lessons learned, lessons learned, let's see how we can do better as we try to create the safety net for the rest of this year into the following year. Congressman Costa, uh, there was a recent ruling by the Supreme Court on DACA. Your thoughts on their response, and does this lessen the need for immigration reform? Well, I, I welcome the decision made by the United States Supreme Court. I have long supported comprehensive immigration reform in this country. We came pretty close in 2014 with the United States Senate when they passed by a significantly bipartisan measure, 68 to 32. And I think the votes were there in the House. I regret that Speaker Boehner did not bring it up then. This year, we worked on a, uh, and last year, a bipartisan, another bipartisan bill that would provide legal status with a avenue to a green card for agricultural workers, not only seasonal, but year-round agricultural workers. We voted that measure out of the House last December, and I really wish that the Senate would take it up if they want to form some sort of a uh, pass a bill or get a conference committee. That would be appropriate. Uh, I think that the Dreamers came to this country as babies, as kids, and for them, through no choice of their own, this is the only country they've ever known. There's about 800,000 of them. Most of them are in school. Some of them have graduated and are working and are productive. Some are in our United States military. And... The fact is, and the president is sometimes spoken sympathetically to the plight of the 800,000 dreamers, but yet, on one hand, he has said that, and on the other hand, he's tried to, through his actions in the legal process, to send them back from wherever they came. That doesn't make any sense, and the Supreme Court said that. And so um, I hope that they'll let the ruling stand and that we get serious about working on comprehensive immigration reform for the 13 million or so people that are here that uh, are contributing in so many different ways to the well-being of our country, doing jobs in many cases that American workers uh, would prefer not to do. Clearly, a good place to start is the Farm Worker Modernization Act of 2020 that would provide that legal status for seasonal and year-round farm workers that is now over in the Senate. Congressman Costa, we want to thank you for your service to the 16th District of California and obviously your uh, outstanding service for the industry of agriculture overall. Thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. And you've been here before. It is Open Mic, and, sir, you have the last word today. Well, I think uh, AgriPulse and Jeff, you with the Open Mic provide a great service to the listeners across this country. And I know that our farmers, ranchers, dairymen, and women want to make sure that they have the latest up-to-date information to make the difficult decisions they have to make every day to um, put food on America's dinner table. It is a national security issue. 
And so I think uh, the Agriculture Committee and the House of Representatives still has strong bipartisan support. We work together on a majority of these issues on a region-by-region basis, wanting to maintain the strength and the vitality of what we do in this country, which is nobody anywhere in the world grows the abundance of agricultural products that we do here in the United States at the quality level, the nutrition level, and the good tasting level as the American farmer does. And so um, thank you, thank AgriPulse, and most importantly, thank the American farmers for their hard work under very, very difficult and trying circumstances as a result of this pandemic that's going to be with us for a while as we are today in uncharted waters. But I believe if we are together and remind ourselves that when Americans are together, there's practically no obstacle that we cannot overcome. So we just need to do what we do best, and that is keep our heads down and do the work. And as I remind people, um, being a product of the 70s and 60s, uh, that Beatles song that Paul McCartney wrote, nobody does it better. Well, nobody does it better than the American farmer. Our thanks to California Congressman Jim Costa, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta and their well-being portal. We're all stronger together. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.